Hello, everybody, and welcome back to We've Got Mail. This is the podcast where you control the conversation right here at the Critically Acclaimed Network. My name is William Bibiani. I am a critic. Well, wouldn't you know it? Everybody calls me Bibs. <laughs> wouldn't you? Wouldn't you? What a darn fact. Darn tootin'. <laughs> I say. My stars. Uh, my name is Whitney Seibold. I, too, am a critic. I contribute to Slash Film. Uh, I've been watching a lot of Star Trek recently. You? For, for work as well. Again, it's, you? I know. What, what a shocker, right? There's a new uh, a new season of Star Trek Picard coming ah. a couple of weeks as of this recording. Mm. And I, I got to review it. So, uh, Ooh. Uh, so far, I've only seen the first six episodes for, mm. for review purposes. Of, of how many? Uh, I think only ten. There's only ten in <sighs> modern, modern seasons. What are, and I can't talk about it yet, but uh, no, you cannot. But I've been doing a lot of that. That's what I can comment on. Yeah. You okay? Yeah. Dante was making a weird noise over there. I don't know why he was doing uh, that. Dante is the kitty cat. Yeah. Sorry about that. He was giving me this weird look, and he was just going, "Hey, look at me I'm doing weird <laughs> stuff." And I'm like, "Stop that!" I got a hairball. Yeah. This is a letters episode. We're going to read emails, not just talk about hairballs. No, we're going to read emails, and here's how it works: You email us. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. And uh, we read your emails on the show. That's right. Sometimes we have letters in our P.O. box. Whitney, what is our P.O. box? Yeah, send us a physical letter to the critically acclaimed network, P.O. box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Yeah, but this time we're just going to do some emails. So, Whitney, mm-hmm. why don't you lock and load I, I, to quote you know, Star Trek? They, they, You know what? Data said that in Star Trek. Insurrection. Yeah. Ergo. The, the, the good that one. Is, that is Trek at its... <laughs> Best. At its finest. Uh, mm. Here's a letter from Yuri. Uh, Yuri says, Hi, Bibbs and Whitney. Uh, Hello. Tw- 2023 is the year that I'll finally finish college and I'll start writing slash researching my undergraduate thesis soon. Ooh, that's exciting. One of the options is I may choose as my subject uh, portrayal of masculinity in movies. Oh. I don't know if, of any more recent movies, 10, or 10 to the 20 years, or in older ones, 60 to 50 years. Mm. That said, I have one question and one request. One, what was the subject of your undergraduate thesis? I don't mm-hmm. know if that's mandatory for you guys. Mm. And two, could you recommend some good movies about masculinity? Recent ones are better, but I accept some oldies if you think they deserve to be highlighted. Ah. Thank you for your wonderful work. Your podcast will probably keep me company through the semester as I write my thesis. Uh, well, sincerely, that's... Yuri. Um, Yuri, thank you so much. Thank you for asking. Um I, I did have a thesis. I was I was an undergrad, but my major was in film, and I specifically majored in screenwriting. And so by the end of uh, my time there, I did have to have at least one feature-length screenplay to my credit. Uh, and it was a screenplay called Mike Pittman, Pizza Boy, Hitman. <laughs> if you, they're not dead in 30 minutes or less, your pizza is free. Uh, Aren't you close? You came fun. Up, you came up with the, the pun before you came up with the story. Yes. Yeah, a little bit. Right. Well, no. No, no, no. I I just like the image of a mm. pizza guy, you know, kind of a yeah. kind of the dorky schlub of the pop culture world, you know, mm. kicking ass. Thought that was kind of funny. The uh, the idea of like the shiftless pizza delivery guy is sort of passed from the pop consciousness. I oh think. yeah, I think uh, there used to be like the number one cliche when people were making fun of adult movies mm. was it would always be like, oh, the pizza's here. Oh no, we don't have. Don't the money, money, to, money to, buy, pay, to pay so for the pizza. Let's enact a pornographic scene there instead. Mu- there yeah. must be something we can do. Um, and uh, yeah, that's basically dead now. They don't, they don't yeah, do that yeah. now. And then, and indeed, uh, which is the, weird because people are still getting pizzas delivered. Yeah, like left and right, it's still happening. 
I suppose. Although in the pandemic, we stopped like even saying hi to the delivery people. Yeah, they just put them on their doorstep yeah. and walk away. Yeah, yeah. So the mist is gone. There's no yeah. face-to-face there's, interaction. There's no... <sighs> What's I looking for? There's no drama. <laughs> there's no... There's, there's, there's that no... magical moment where you open the door and then like, you know, the pizza person is there and they see inside your home. Mm-hmm. And like, I always thought it'd be kind of cool like every time they showed up at your house... Your house is like some kind of weird, crazy thing. Like this one, it's haunted. The next time the pizza guy comes in, it's like all decked out for Christmas, but it's May. You know, like just something just completely the, random. Th- this would be a predicated on the f- on uh, getting the same pizza delivery person each time. Indeed, yeah. And also, you're doing it for a pizza delivery person who only yeah. sees the interior of your house for like maybe forty five seconds. The best jokes. Are are the ones that are the hardest to pull off for the smallest audience? <laughs> I suppose so. That's, those There's are the some, ones that are something worth noble it. about rearranging your entire home for the benefit of the pizza delivery. Yeah, just just for one guy, you know. Like, yeah. just, I don't know. It makes uh, them feel special. Uh, here, here's a dirty secret. Mm. I don't have a bachelor's degree. No oh, shit. No, I I, I have a, a, an associate's degree. I have a, a okay. vocational certificate. Oh. Well, I you're went, fired. I went to. A, I can't believe we've been doing this this whole time, and you. Never I, I went me. to a BA program for two years, uh, but that was out of state, and I was just I was homesick. Yeah. And I also wanted to change majors. I was uh, majoring in theater for two years, and I wanted to be an actor. Uh, it took me two years to realize I'm not a good actor. <laughs> I think you're better than I, you I, I, couldn't, but okay. I couldn't develop the skills I needed. All of my peers were just so far ahead of me. Yeah. So, uh, so, but I was getting really good at talking about movies, and I liked writing about them. And I, I even had a blog back in the late '90s when that was. Still a bit of a novelty. That was cool. Uh, so I moved back to LA, and I started to. Uh, I went to a, a specialty school that did uh, not just film, but film business. Mm. Figured out I can I can watch movies and read screenwriting books and figure out the art of the thing. Mm. Uh, I don't need a class to teach me those, but I do need to know about like financing and pitch meetings. Yeah, and that's the, hard the, to learn. The technical sides. That's hard to learn. So I went to a school that specialized in that. And I I passed that program. That's cool. So I did go to college for four years. Okay. But I don't have a bachelor's degree. Okay. So I didn't have well, a, a thesis. If it's, a, if it's any consolation, when you get married, they make you give that back. That, you know, I thought that was, when I was a kid, I thought that, that's what that meant. It's like, I have a bachelor's degree, so it means you're like an unmarried man living by himself? Is yes. that what that means? No, that's, that's not role. That's not what that means. Dante uh, so, stopped rummaging. Uh, as, for, so as for films about... Vivarious today? That's not a word. Vivarious? Vivacious. Vivacious is You're so vivacious today. <laughs> I'm operating I, on two hours of sleep. I can see. I can tell you're a little scared. I didn't get. I could. I had one of those nights where, like, you you go. Sometimes you go to bed and like, oh, you toss and turn, but uh-huh. no particular reason. You just can't get comfy. I had one of those nights where, like, you know, if it was a cartoon, you'd be all black, but you'd see my eyes wide open oh, because yeah. I'm like worried about things and questioning my yeah, life see, like, choices a, a, and identity. Trickle of sweat, that kind of thing. Yeah, like I just could not tamp down my anxiety last night, so I barely got any sleep. So I'm gonna be a mess today. Hooray. If I'm not already. Uh, but to the, to the darn, other part of your question. Darn you, Camus. To the other part of your question. Movies about masculinity. Mm. Um, it's a really good question. And we look to movies for ways to behave. If not necessarily... Um, if, if not necessarily like an excuse to like, here's how you're supposed to behave. It's more like, here's how you could behave. Like if you were cool, you'd well, wear like, a hat like Humphrey Bogart. I, so I like we, so. We, we, a... do, we do... I, I do think we take cues, it, yeah, consciously I, or subconsciously, from what we watch in terms mm-hmm. of "don't be that guy" in or "ooh, do of, be uh, that guy." That guy's cool. Yeah, but, uh, 
cinema reached the sort of like peak influence at some point, and you know, a lot of people point to uh, Jean-Luc Godard's movie Breathless, yeah. just like your example, uh, as sort of like the the inflection point when people began uh, imitating movie stars in earnest in real yeah. life. Life life was imitating art, yeah, like consciously, uh, yeah. And uh, in terms of like what we perceive of in the modern world as as masculine, mm. a lot of those cues now come from cinema. Yeah. And uh, a lot of sociologists like to point to movies as, as mm. the ultimate indicator of what, you know, cer- certain uh, certain genders need to behave like depending on what we see on the screen. Yeah. Uh, the best movies I can think of about masculinity tend to criticize yeah. the way we've looked to media mm-hmm. to get... Uh, gender ideals for lack of a better term yeah uh the first one that comes to mind is fight club yeah it's Uh, kind of of the obvious one uh because that openly discusses masculinity (coughs) uh in the late 1990s there was uh uh sort of a sense of ennui that uh uh like 1950s um paterfamilias uh caretaker images of masculinity uh tough guy images of masculinity were falling by the wayside because those were useless those weren't getting us anywhere, and that's mm. a movie about uh, fighting the evolution, essentially turning mm. it uh, and turning it into something the opposite that turns into something toxic. And we realize that masculinity is actually uh, a small piece of fascism. Yeah, uh, I really love that movie. I think it gets misinterpreted a lot. Yeah. I think it's a movie that is highly critical of masculinity, and a lot of people look to it as an idealized version of it. Yeah, because because again, it. Being about something is one thing, but you have to be aware that the way that you superficially present it as well mm-hmm. does matter. Yeah. Because some people don't deep dive uh, into critical mm-hmm. analysis with every single thing they see. Some people just... I, I do this all the time in music, for example. Like, I'll, I'll, I'll listen to a song, I'll listen to it a hundred times, but then I'll realize I've really only ever consciously listen to the words in the chorus. Yeah. And I don't know exactly what the song is about. And I've just been kind of just absorbing it subconsciously the whole time. And I think some people do that with a lot of different kinds of media. Um, and with Fight Club, again, you got it's a movie that's criticizing masculinity, but it's doing it through Brad Pitt, mm. who at the time was seen as, one, I think some would argue he still is, even though now there's some mm. you know, more troubling things about him, but... Uh, he was the most attractive man in the world, essentially. Yeah, and he yeah. was, even Tyler, even though Tyler Durden is ostensibly living off the grid and like not obeying the rules, every single thing he wears is perfectly styled yeah, to make yeah. him look amazing. And it's easy to just sort of take it as, oh, Fight Club would be cool. Yeah, well, that, you know? yeah, that's, I feel like uh, Fight Club and um, has the, a similar problem to A Clockwork Orange, yeah. uh, the Stanley Kubrick movie. Those are movies that are indictments of their their material. Yeah, but They're, the protagonists the, as, are so but, alluring. Exactly. Yeah. The, in both cases, the filmmakers make those protagonists seem really, really awesome. Yeah, my, uh, my, uh, A movie I really love that's a counterpoint uh, to Fight Club, mm. and it's very much about, it's, it's also about the fascism of... Toxic masculinity, and it is also about the way that we associate masculinity, or even just male confidence, with violence, and how that mm. is a slippery slope. Uh, there's a really good film called The Art of Self-Defense. Oh, I missed this one. Oh, I, I really think you'd like it. this yeah, one. Yeah. yeah, it's from Riley Stearns. Mm. Came out in 2019. Uh, stars Jesse Eisenberg, Alessandra Nivola, and Imogen Poots. And um, 
Yeah, it's basically Fight Club, but you, you, you'd you have to really go out of your way to miss what it's really about. Okay. But it's still very, very bitter and mm-hmm. very, very funny. Yeah. Alessandro Navola is really great in that movie, actually. He's a good actor. He's, like he's him, hilarious yeah. in that movie. So um, it's funny, but it's still very, very mean. And like the ending of that movie is actually pretty fucked up. Okay. Uh, but it's really, really good. Yeah. So I do recommend that uh, highly. Um, um, uh, David Cronenberg's A History of Violence yeah, is a good one. one. Um, and that that is very much also about sort of the paterfamilias and mm-hmm. in in committing acts of violence, that's what makes you more manly. It's actually a very bitter movie. Um, It's David Cronenberg. All his films tend to be pretty bitter and critical. Um, Oh, I had another one in my mind, but I forgot. Mm. Uh, Uh, mm. If you uh, want to go back a little bit... Yeah, I'm not sure. uh, You said recent. I'm not sure how recent is recent. I'd like like to recommend to you Mm -hmm. uh, watch all three films... In Hiroshi Inagaki's Samurai Trilogy. Mm. Uh, it's the Musashi Miyamoto story. Musashi Miyamoto is sort of a uh, um, legendary samurai figure. <sighs> yeah. Um, a, r- a real figure from the 17th century. Yeah. And Toshiro Mifune plays uh, this character, Musashi Miyamoto. And the three films follow his development from being sort of like a criminal. Mm. Just sort of like charging across the, the landscape, beating up people with a stick. Mm. To being uh, a little bit more mature yeah. and being a little bit more stoic, being a true samurai. Mm. And the parts of those movies, uh, it has been written, uh, are sort of the legs of male developments. There's yeah. the brash young man, there's the uh, would-be intellect, and then there's the mature human. Mm. Uh, and I think... I think that's what those movies are about. I think if you're going to go back and watch the Samurai Trilogy, it's specifically about uh, masculine tropes and how they are uncaricaturized versions of growth. They're uh, a little bit melodramatic. They are films from the 50s. uh, (coughs) Excuse me. But they're, A, they're really good. You'll just have a good time watching them. Yeah. But yeah, I think that if if you're looking for um, something a little bit more uh, esoteric, I suppose, Hmm. go for the the Samurai Trilogy. Uh, I'm going to recommend, you know, one genre, I think, that ends up having a lot of conversations about masculinity because a lot of the films in that genre focus on a very male-oriented corner of it, or it really takes up a lot of space, Mm -hmm. uh, is uh, sports movies. Mm. A lot of sports movies are about um, male bonding, masculinity. Um, um, I think everybody wants some. Uh, by Richard yeah, Linklater that's, that's, is a, that's a great movie it's a great movie about uh, what men young men like in, in first year college mm. uh, bonding over a weekend and all the different ways that their masculinity expresses itself you know they're, they're, they're young men they're sexual men they're pranksters they're mm. but they're but they're all actually more complicated than these sort of college cliches that we're mm. used to and I think it's a really fun exploration of that that's a they're, I think they're baseball players softball players baseball yeah, baseball yeah. Yeah. Um, also really one of my favorite sports movies ever, uh, Warrior, uh, Mm. is I think an excellent uh, example of this because it's about three men, a father and his two sons, his Nicolas Cage and his sons are played by Tom Hardy and Joel Edgerton. And he was their coach. They were both were MMA fighters. Yeah. And he, his, uh, drinking and his abusive behavior, uh, drove them both away, but drove them both in very different directions. And Tom Hardy joined the military, and he came back very scarred and very violent. And it expresses itself in his fighting style in the ring, where he's just a rabid dog who's trying to take you down. Mm. And Joel Edgerton ended up crafting a more 
uh, uh, pleasant and and secure life for himself with with family, and he's a teacher, and he ends up and he still fights, but he fights in a way that is more um, calculated mm-hmm. and and strategic and. You see that the way that they have decided to live their lives and rejects the toxic masculinity of their father basically comes into literal conflict, mm-hmm. which is rather well illustrated, I think. But also, it's incredibly well acted and written. I think it's a great movie. Yeah, uh, I, I, this is the one I was thinking of. Oh. Uh, we just reviewed a movie very specifically about this called Close oh. uh, on on our you film did, review. Yeah, I, did, I did. Yeah, I it's uh, it, it it's a film that was nominated for best international film at this year's Academy Awards, uh, and it's about two thirteen-year-old boys who are very, very close. Uh, They're childhood friends. They grew up on neighboring farms. Mm. And they have achieved a level of intimacy Mm -hmm. um, that the people around them are insisting they grow out of. Yeah. Uh, They are very physically close. They sleep in the same bed. They touch a lot. They lean on each other. They hold hands. And in a way that would actually be like relatively normal, for example, for well, young girls. A, a little kid or young girls. Yeah, and, uh, yeah. But because they're men and they're becoming yeah. men, they're basically, yeah, so, society is trying to like take that away from them. So, yeah, a yeah. lot of people at their school are, uh, you know, calling their sexuality into question because it's weird to be gay. And, um, and something really tragic happens. It's uh, really, really sort of aggressively manipulative movie but you know in in a way that you don't mind being manipulated but it's also very explicitly about that kind how masculinity and heteronormativity Mm. are forces for evil in Mm. the world and how it just leads to nothing but pain and tragedy um i really recommend that one um on on another uh note on similar note i suppose uh, i would highly recommend barry jenkins moonlight there you go. Uh, which is another story about a young uh, uh, gay man who mm. is in three different stages of his life encountering other men and their expectations of him and see how he evolves to meet those and survive in an environment that is very hostile to who he is. Gene uh, Campion's Power of the Dog. Oh, for sure. Fantastic yeah. motion picture. Um, you know, I, I encourage you actually, though, I encourage you to consider the possibility here because we're talking about a lot of great movies. Mm-hmm. It can be really illuminating to watch a movie that sucks. It's kind of clueless about like, it's, what it's, it's like, saying. It's like it's, it has things on its mind about its topic. And the topic we're talking about is, is masculinity. Mm-hmm. But is so uh, uh, regressive or f- relies on so many sort of hackneyed tropes that it kind of just feels... Like it stepped out of a time machine in a mm-hmm. weird way. And the movie I'm thinking of, because it's very explicitly about multi-generational masculinity, uh, is Tim Story's Shaft. Oh, God, that's an awful movie. It's an, it's not yeah, a good but... movie, but it is a movie that is very explicitly about masculinity. It mm-hmm. has messages about masculinity that I would personally argue are not healthy. Yeah. But it is espousing those messages. Mm-hmm. And I think it's espousing them, weirdly enough, in contradiction to the previous Shaft movies, I mean, Which John are Singleton a lot, a lot more o- open-minded and about yeah. you know togetherness. Like, like Shaft in like the the Samuel Jackson Shaft is like kind of this like old school ah kids these days kind of thing, and then you go back to the Richard Roundtree in the seventies, and he's infinitely more progressive than this version of Samuel L. Jackson is in Tim Story Shaft or, and, and, or even in like the it, John de- Singleton film. He, he defends queer characters yeah, in that, he, that first Shaft movie. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, it's completely bizarre, actually, how that 
uh, story evolved. So I would recommend taking some stories that are not necessarily good movies. Because mm. I think what you might discover is that in failing to have a nuanced conversation, they might be more overt about just what exactly what they intend. Yeah. Uh, another might, good example of the, these might be the Daddy's Home movies. I didn't see those. Where Will Ferrell yeah. plays a, a very uh, very milk toast, very uh, mild mannered uh, husband who is incredibly intimidated by his wife's ex. I think ex husband, mm. ex boyfriend certainly. But and he's played by Mark Wahlberg, and Mark Wahlberg is like super macho and boss and captures all the attention in the room. And then in the sequel, their dads show up, and Will Ferrell's dad is played by a very uh, um, a very timid John Lithgow. And Mark Wahlberg's dad is played by Mel Gibson, Mel Gibson yeah. in, in like pure asshole mode. And like when you see all those characters talk to like one of like the kids who's just starting to get his first crush, and like he wants to like, oh, how do I how do I ask her out and everything like that? And they're all giving him like this incredibly like weird cavalcade of tropey hackneyed advice. And mm. then you see where the movie actually decides was the correct lesson to learn. And you realize, oh, this movie has some weird ideas about masculinity, sure. and I think that might be I think that might be exciting to explore. The downside is you'd probably have to watch that movie more than once. So, <laughs> pick your battles, I suppose. I mean, if you're writing a thesis, you're you're you know what you're preparing for. That's true, but like I, we we've all you and I, you know, we review movies, we come up with projects where we're going to review all of a thing, and every once in a while. We regret our decisions. It's like, oh god, oh, I have to watch all of, the, oh, like the Monster Squad for like the seventies TV show. <laughs> like, it was awful. I'm like, oh, it was the worst thing we've ever watched, but we did it. We said we'd do it. So pick your battles wisely, but hopefully that gives you some ideas. We should move on. Um, but thank you for writing in. I hope yeah. that helps. Uh, here's another letter. This one comes from OK. Hello, OK. okay. Hello. We, we hear from OK uh, occasionally. Mm. Uh, hey, Bibbs and Whitney Seibold, you're you you're both looking beautiful today, and your podcasts sound excellent. Thank you. Well, thank you. It's we have a nice. quality microphone here. Mm. Uh, it is the award season. So it is. And I'm glad to see how many Oscar nominations Everything Everywhere All at Once got. Yeah. Wouldn't mind seeing them winning them, too. Um, I think it's in the top two favorites right now, like uh, odds-on favorites. It's a close race in a lot of categories. It's mm. usually not. Uh, Usually there's like quite a few front runners and it seems pretty safe, but mm -hmm. like honestly, I, I wouldn't be surprised if like three or four movies won Best Picture at this point. Like I would be uh, like, I have my theories, but I'm like, I, seriously, there's like three or four movies where if that one, I'd be like, you know, that tracks. <laughs> I would love for like women talking, yeah, to like sort of coming from behind. That would be, be super great. exciting. I think uh, that's unlikely, but I do think mm -hmm. it's it's a there's more. It's gonna be harder to predict than usual. Yeah, I'll say that right now. Um, here in Finland. Our own film awards, UC Awards, also announced this year's nominees. There I was glad to see the horror film Hatching. Mm. Uh, I saw that film. Yeah, you liked it. Uh, and the teen drama Girl Picture uh, being represented. But the most interesting thing about the nominations was the change up in the acting categories. The traditional gender-based categories of actor and actresses in lead and supporting were gone. Mm. And instead there were four gender-neutral categories. The best perf lead performance, supporting performance, performance by a newcomer. Mm. And uh, the last one would translate to the light spot of the silver screen. It's for a performer who delighted audiences especially well with more than one performance in the year. Okay. Okay. Uh, so all, more like all the a, nominees yeah. for it appeared in at least three movies and some were lead roles. That's some were interesting choice. Yeah. Um, we should do that at the Academy Awards. I, the, the uh, well, the trick with that though is that 
that's just based on timing. Yeah. Like, people can film five movies in a year, and then they'll get spread out over four I mean, years. You never know. It's choosing. It's from, just luck. Choosing by calendar year is arbitrary. It's arbitrary. Anyway, and and but, to be uh, fair, the very first Academy Awards, people did win awards for multiple films. Yes. Janet Gaynor, I think, won for, I think, three movies that she was in that year. Wow. Yeah. Um, my, uh, my wife has always suggested uh, Best Cameo. Be uh, best single scene in a movie because mm-hmm. she was thinking of something like uh, Matthew McConaughey in The Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, it's like well, we we take their money and we keep it. We walk away. Yeah, he's so amazing. In that uh, movie. Yeah, uh, uh, if uh, Uma Thurman's performance in uh, Nymphomaniac. Yeah, <laughs> she comes in and just sort of like just one weeps, scene. Yeah, yeah. like it's tragic and hilarious all at once. Yeah, I think there's a couple of categories that are for acting that are very very good and should definitely be more normalized, like voice acting. Mm. Why not? There's tons of voice acting all, yeah, all throughout the year. That should totally no, be an no, Academy no Award. voice performance has been nominated. And yet, I think there might. I don't. I don't know if there's a rule against it, but I, in it's the Academy weird. there probably is. There's all kinds of weird rules. Yeah. Um, but you know, voice actors get nominated for other awards. Yeah, they have the, the Annie Awards yeah. and things. So like that's cool. But like anyway, but we should read the rest of the letter. Anyway, uh, there were four nominees in each category, uh, and of the 16 nominees total, nine were women, six were men, and one was non-binary. Nice. Uh, anyone. Uh, Anyway, what do you think of this category change? Should Oscars also go ahead for gender-neutral acting categories, and do these sound like good options? In other news, my movie club is operating again. Yeah. After the winter break, uh, the theme for the club this period is the sight and sound poll. Kind of like the theme, kind of like that thing with the top 100 list where all the following films appeared. I am showing these films this time. Get Out by Jordan Peele. Okay. Spirited Away. Nice. Uh, Rashomon. Great. Rear Window and mm-hmm. Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Awesome picks. Can't can't go wrong with any of those. Honestly, you for um, most of those films you could just throw a you know, throw a dart at a list and probably <laughs> get a good yeah. crop, but that's a great crop. Uh, I've already shown uh, quite quite a many <coughs> Miyazaki and Kurosawa films, but there can't be enough of them. Mm-hmm. Do you have any hot takes on these choices? I think they are good with love and respect. Okay. Yeah, those are those are fun. those are all good choices. I have no objections to any y- of those. You want to cast as wide a net as possible, and there's a part of me that's like maybe instead of two films from Japan, you pick another country, but yeah. that's that's your choice. They're, they're yeah. those are very different films. Yeah, to be so fair, one, one yeah. is an animated film from the two thousands, the other yeah. is live action from the fifties. They're very different so, films. Yeah. I, I appreciate that. I'm glad to um, pick some new films, some old films, etc. So I think um, um, no matter what films you pick, considering you have a limited number, you're going to leak great stuff out. As for uh, gender-neutral action categories, I think it's a wonderful idea. I think it needs to be done. I think Mm. it's overdue. Um, I do have only one point of trepidation in de-gendering acting categories, and it's uh, just sort of natural sexism within the industry infiltrating. That if you take away uh, gendered acting categories... Mm -hmm more and more men will start showing up in those categories. That's a concern. That's my only concern. That's, that, and that's, and that's a uh, fair concern. We yeah. actually had to debate that. Mm. Because the question is, if we do this, is our people going to exploit it somehow? Yeah. yeah. And we don't want that. One second, I'm going to turn off my air conditioner, which I didn't oh, yeah. realize was on. Yeah. Uh, sort of, William can actually speak more uh, cogently to this because he belongs to a critic group that's done this. Yeah. Uh, I'm part of I, the uh, Los Angeles Film Critics Association, and this last year uh, we voted... And we decided to eliminate uh, gendered acting categories. And, uh, you know, there was actually quite a bit of debate about, like, what form that would take. Mm. And I don't want to take you behind the scenes because I don't think that would be appropriate. But I can tell you where we landed because that's common knowledge. Um, 
the, the trick is you don't want to have fewer awards because that seems kind of mean. Yeah. Like we're going to yeah, take awards like, away from everybody. Well, so you want to, so a, currently, a, it's, currently, a, it's fun and B yeah. why take away someone's opportunity exactly. to win that award. But the yeah. whole point of, of degendering uh, category, I, I think there's a couple of points to it. One, um, the idea that acting while male is an entirely different job than acting while female yeah. is, I think, wrong-headed. And even if you believed in that, it raises the question, then why is being a cinematographer while male not a different job than being a cinematographer while yeah. female? You're arguing that your gender, and you're assuming it's a binary, which is not true, mm. so there's the other issue. Uh, you're arguing that your gender is like fundamentally part of the art form yeah. and I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's reasonable I don't think it's yeah, what we're it, rewarding here when it comes to acting mm-hmm. you know the and traditionally uh, women got different kinds of roles than men mm-hmm. well traditionally think, men played women's roles that's true if you want to yeah. get if you really want to get into it yeah, <laughs> I suppose you'd go back far enough yeah, yeah if you go back to like uh, British stage traditions and, then, and, yeah. and uh, uh, throughout the world indeed uh, oh what is it um I think the word is onagata mm. is uh, in no or is in I think it's a no theater in Japan. Yeah, I, the, I'm the, not... the the men who play the female roles if, are, are if we, onagata. If, if we got um, that wrong, we apologize. Yeah. Winnie's pulling that off the top of his head. Yeah, no, you, it's I, off the top of your head. We're not looking it up. I, I, I said earlier. I went. Yeah. I majored in theater. I studied this okay. a little bit. Um, Just cover my bases. <laughs> I can be wrong. It's fine. I don't know. If, you're, if we're wrong, um, we apologize. But we, you know, we mean, you know, uh, yeah. Um, the thing is real. What What I would love to see, um, it, it it's great to just sort of degender acting categories anyway, right. because as as gender identity is uh, more widely accepted, yeah, uh, and, as, and as a spectrum, as, as yeah, as a spectrum yeah. by yeah. more and more people, yeah, uh, then we're going to be less and less concerned with what kinds of roles certain genders get. It's not going to yeah. concern us anymore. Yeah. Uh, it, you also want to be inclusive to people yeah. who, like... Because if it's only male and female, mm. if you are non-binary in that system, mm. you either can't get nominated or you have to decide yeah. to be misgendered. Right. And that's a, that's fundamentally exclusionary. Yeah. Uh, so that's not there's, the the uh, some people have floated the option. You, you told me about sort of the the Lafka thing and how there was maybe the the consideration of adding a third gendered acting category, which uh, again though that's a, still a little bit limiting, isn't it? Yeah. It's like male, female, and other, like and, everything and, else, and, it's and that's, arguing, that's also pretty broad. And it's still arguing uh, for a certain form of I think gender essentialism, where mm. you know acting while your gender mm. makes you distinctly different as yeah, an uh, actor, and I don't think that's necessarily. The, the, the right message yeah. we want uh, we, to give about the art form. Uh, uh, there was a critic group that, that I, I joined. I'm not really that active in it anymore. But um, mm. uh, they started out by trying to gender the directing category. Yeah. The concern was too many men were being awarded for directing. Sure. And not enough women were. Yeah. And so... Uh, they, we had best male director and best female director. Yeah. In that, and that... I actually liked that. I liked that... Uh, it was sort of very uh, pointedly attacking mm. the maleness of yeah. that tradi- the traditional maleness of that category. It raises the question where right. if you disagree with that, you suddenly have to ask, well, why do you agree with the acting category? Yeah. yeah, yeah. So that that was the function of that. It's yeah. like this is actually a little bit of a, a, a comment. Yeah. Uh, not to say that you know male directors are any better or worse than female directors, but right. in separating those out, it's like. Yeah. We're bringing something to light here. Now, why why are you always nominating men when 
you know, women are just as capable. Yeah. Uh, that that's that was one of the more aggravating things about uh, this year's Academy Awards. Yeah, so many people. It's like there's that. so many great films directed by women. Um, yeah. I looked over my own list of like my top ten movies. Yeah. And five of them were made by women. Yeah. Four of them were made by men, and one was made one was made by a non-binary director. So yeah. I, looking uh, over like my picks for like the best performances of the year, like lead performances of the mm-hmm. year. Maybe one one male, maybe <laughs> one. Like we we because at the uh, at LAFCA the decision that we came to was we were going to keep four awards, and instead of creating new awards like you apparently mm. did uh, in as Finland, mm. was in it Finland? F- Finland, yeah. yeah, yeah okay, yeah. Um, we decided there were still going to be two lead uh, acting category uh, mm. acting awards and two supporting acting awards, mm. but the two winners would be essentially tied. Okay. So there's just you get two lead actors and two supporting, and then also at LAFCA we also do runners up. So the first runners up. So there'd be two runners up as well. Okay. And sure enough, uh, and then again, just by the way we happened to vote, uh, there was a male winner and a female winner in supporting, and a male runner up and a female runner up. And in lead, there was a male winner and a female winner. It was Kate Blanchett and Bill Nye, but there were two female winners up. Okay. So that's one extra woman who got at the very least recognition who wouldn't have otherwise. There's no guarantee it's always going to work out in exactly that way, but I think it's encouraging that it doesn't have to lead to well then men will get all the awards because I I think that's it's mm. fucked up and arbitrary if you really think about it. Yeah. If it's not arbitrary, it's sexist mm. to assume that. Um if we aren't ready to do something as simple, I think. And this is the way I... And I appreciate this as a matter of discussion. Um, if we aren't ready to do something as simple as... Stop arguing that acting while male is different mm-hmm. than acting while female. Uh, if, if we can't do that without suddenly skewing into sexist territory, the problem is not the award. <laughs> and the award would only call attention to our own failings, mm. as indeed the Oscars do every single year. Yeah, uh, they're they're again, no women nominated for best director this year in a year with a staggering number of brilliant motion pictures directed by women. A mm. uh, lot of women of color locked out of the acting races. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's awesome for Michelle Yeoh and Stephanie Hsu uh, and. Angela Bassett, but you also look at some of those like, yeah, but who, who are like spot on to win? So, I, yeah. yeah, like and again, and then then you have like you know, someone. It's it's just so fucking frustrating, and you know you want inclusivity, you want people to feel as though they can participate and they can participate on an even playing field mm-hmm. with everybody. And I, here's the damn thing: I'm not sure the Academy is ready for it. Uh, I think maybe other people are, but I don't know if the, I, I, the Academy would worry me. Because I feel like the Academy makes some boneheaded decisions <laughs> over and over and over again. Yeah, well, I don't he, understand it at all. Here, here's something I got to write about recently about the Academy. And, and this is a little off topic now. But um, uh, there, I saw a movie uh, last year called No Bears. Yeah. It's an Iranian film by yeah. uh, Jafar Panahi. And uh, that was not submitted to the Academy mm-hmm. from Iran. Iran chose a different film to submit. And the best international because, feature isn't just any movie that comes out internationally. Yeah, they, they're the specific choice of submission by that yeah, country. The country has to select a film to submit to the Academy for awards consideration. Yeah. Because Jafar Panahi is uh, in legal hot water yeah. for exposing the fascist regime over there. Yeah. He, uh, he, he was thrown in prison. He's serving yeah. a six-year sentence. So the Iranian government and, isn't putting him forth as 
the poster child of their country. Exactly. Yeah. Which means the system that the Academy has in place uh, implicitly condones censorship. Kind of does. If, if a country decides to censor a film, the Academy says, well, that's okay by us. Yeah. Um, wouldn't it be cool if there were some way for the Academy to nominate No Bears regardless? See, I, because it's <sighs> worth it, because it's a great movie. See, that's the kind of situation where we used to do this more often at the Academy. Not all the time. Mm. But it was more common, I feel, to give special awards. Mm. Not Lifetime Achievement Awards, which we do every single year. But a special award for a unique mm. achievement. And I'm trying to remember the last time I even saw like a special award given for a unique new achievement that wasn't like inventing a new technology or something. Like the, I, I think Toy Story won a special Academy Award, didn't it? Yes. I I can't think of one there since. was there wasn't best animated feature yet. Yeah. So, so like that was one where like oh it's the first CG animated movie that feels like a major leap forward for the mm. medium and indeed it was. I think uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit got one. Mm. I know um, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs <laughs> got, a uh, got a special award for, because you know. Big budget mainstream animated feature, and yeah. uh, it was the first one from Disney Animation Studios. It was uh, 37, I think that movie came out. Yeah. And uh, they gave it an Academy Award and seven little Academy Awards. Which is Isn't pretty that cute. cute. That's yeah. pretty cute. I don't know where those little ones are. Surely they're in a Disney vault somewhere. I, I, but... I, they're probably on display in like the mm. CEO's office or something. Yeah. that's You, you got to keep them out. You want people to see them. I know that at uh, Disney Studios here in Burbank, um, there's there is like a vault room. Yeah, you can go in and uh, yeah, people with special access mm. can go in there and look around. I w- uh, we we know people who have special access, so I, I've been in that room not for very long, but mm. I got to look around a little. I don't bit. know if I've been in the vault. I did get an invite once for a press thing to go into the archive. Okay, which was this really? I mean, it, it, it had like full time librarians there, nice. like with those like little magnifying lenses over just one eye, <laughs> and like pouring over old sketches, and we got to see like. The original hand-drawn sketches for, like, Maleficent and Sleeping oh, Beauty back when yeah. she was going to be all red. Like, really, mm. totally different aesthetic. Um, very, very cool. Like, that's that was a very exciting place to be. Like, I, that kind of level of artistic... The, the, the minutia that they saved is yeah. sadly not available for every movie. Uh a friend of mine got to visit uh, Disney's animation studio mm. um, sometime in the late 90s when they were making the film Hercules. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, Clearly, some bored animators were just sort of doodling in their spare time, and they sketched, like, really randy pictures yeah, of, of the characters. Yeah. I'm sure it's very common. Oh, yeah. Uh, I just, I'm tired of doing these kitty drawings. I'm going to draw them in flagrante and yeah, draw genitals. Yeah. And, uh, and and it was in a trash can. They'd crumpled up and thrown it away. It wasn't yeah. meant to be seen. But somebody found that uh-huh. in the trash can. They looked in, they sort of pulled it out. I was like, gosh, this is really randy. I'm sure someone was fired. Oh, yeah. That. Yeah, I've heard because they are incredibly getting, strict. I've heard stories of people getting fired yeah. for stuff like that. I was at uh, I was able to go to Skywalker Ranch once, and they let us into mm. their uh, their storage room, uh, and it was for like I think the first Blu-ray release of Indiana Jones. Okay, and they had like a lot of Indiana Jones props out, but if you just sort of crane your neck around, you could see that they just had tons of Star Wars and other like. Lucasfilm props. There's probably Radio Land Murders props in there somewhere, and they're just sort of just hanging there on shelves. They all just kind of loosey goosey like. It was a really interesting. It was a kind of a bizarre image. Like, oh, there's a Death Star. Oh wait, that's the Death Star. Holy crap! <laughs> it's it's kind of weird how unimpressive those things are at first glance. Mm-hmm. 
It's like, oh, well, that's, yeah, they're that's, designed to be filmed from a certain yeah, angle. I've, you know? I've seen that. That's the way it looks. Oh wait, but that's the thing. That's the mm. thing they filmed. There was uh, you, you we did you you finally saw the stuntman, right? We saw that a couple. Like, yeah, we we watched that one together. Great movie about filmmaking. Very bitter and acidic. And there's a line that uh, Peter O'Toole says over and over again. It was like, King Kong was only thirty inches tall, mm. and yet <laughs> we believe. You mm. know, and so yeah. But anyway, we, we got off on the weeds. The conversation about degendering the acting awards. I'm actually very proud of Lafka. I fully supported that uh, for degendering those awards. Yeah. I think the time has come, and um, I, I think like it's. Them. I think the Academy Award will probably do it someday. Someday, uh, it's 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 a very slow moving animal. The Academy, and, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think uh, I would love to see it happen. Yes, but but my concern remains. My concern yeah. is that it, it some sexism will hang around. There's a legit practical consideration. Yeah, that that is that should not be ignored. We can't just pretend that that's not that sexism isn't real. Mm-hmm. Um, so the question is, is the academy able to do that? But the thing is, is that you have to acknowledge that even if we leave the system intact, there are still people who are being fundamentally excluded from that. Yeah, and either they can't be nominated, or in order to be nominated, they would have to be misgendered. So even in this version right now, still inherently flawed. So. Anyway, the conversation will continue, I'm sure. Let's move on. Uh, Here's a letter from Jonathan. Hello, Jonathan. Hi, Jonathan. Uh, Greetings, gentlemen. I'm writing in response to your recent review of Skinamarink. Oh, yeah. For two reasons. First, to share my experience of what it was like to watch it in a pretty crowded theater. Mm. And secondly, to vehemently, but I hope respectfully, disagree with you about Uh it. I know you both will tell me uh, to not apologize for the length, so I won't. Good. Good. Don't apologize. Proud of you. Yeah, I, I saw Skinnamarink at home in the dark in the middle of the night, which is the greatest way to not sleep that night. I would argue that's kind of the way the movie is meant to be seen. Yeah. Uh, I'd be very curious to see it with a big audience, yeah. although we didn't. Although, however, it, the movie is currently available on streaming now. So you can watch uh, yeah, it on Shudder. It's on, on Shudder now. So as, if you were hearing us talk about it, like, oh, it's not playing near me, boom, you can get it. It's you can on Shudder, yeah. If you're curious. Um, first, the theatrical experience. I will mm. give the context. I saw this at my local art house theater and not the AMC, so we didn't have anyone wander into the movie without having at least some idea uh, that it was a more abstract, experimental kind of experience mm. than a typical, more mainstream horror movie. Mm. I myself went in relatively blind, knowing only it had gone viral on TikTok, and this was somehow visually and narratively distinct. No one walked out mm. during it or talked mm. back at the end. Upset that they had somehow been less, uh, somehow been misled a la A24 horror movies. Uh, In fact, no one made a sound the entire runtime, other than screams and jump scares, of course. Uh, Everyone was seemingly transfixed on the bizarre nightmare unfolding on screen, and when the final The End title card uh, hits, you could feel the collective release of a held breath. Just a very memorable communal film experience. And I wish I had bought into it like everyone else had. Ah. I want to be very clear that while watching Skinamarink, I understood everything you both brought up in your rave review. The nightmare vibes, the weird angles, the darkness, the sense of dread. I find myself in the weird position of having to hate on this movie Hmm. with the caveat of saying I completely understand how every strong directorial decision contributes to the tone the filmmaker wants me to feel. Ugh, I hate this phrase. Objectively good. Uh, but, no, that's not a thing. Don't no, worry about that's, that. that's, yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the movie just bounced <coughs> off of me, which is shocking considering I was born in 1991 and was actively terrified of the dark until well past when I probably should have hmm. been, shouldn't have been anymore. <laughs> Nightmares creeping in the dark of 1995 feels as targeted to me as it gets. Uh, right. Hmm. I think the spell for me was broken by two related things, a hmm. length 
and repetitiveness. Mm, the movie yeah. is too long, mm. even at only 100 minutes. This movie is begging to be 75 minutes max, and while I think most critics of the film might suggest excising chunks of the opening 25-ish minutes to get to the real meat of the panic attack-inducing nightmares quicker, I think a lot of the different scare sequences that could, could stand to be shorter while still getting the same vibe across. There's all, only so many times the movie can ask me to stare into the shadowy abyss of the ceiling before it loses its effectiveness, <laughs> or worse, I start to lose my patience. Yeah. I also found a lot of the timing on the cuts for the scares to be extremely predictable. The re- result is that I commonly found myself for much of the last half hour looking at uh, looking at a shot of foreboding and, and a shot of foreboding in a hallway, thinking, "You want me to feel su- suffocating foreboding dread?" And I'm about forty percent there because this is fundamentally sound filmmaking. But please get on with it. Mm. Uh, I bet they do a creepy cut right here. Oh yeah, there it goes. Yeah. Um, I think there's too little variety stretched across across a too long runtime. Hmm. Because as grumpy as I sound, harping on the things that didn't work for me, the parts that really do stand out for me are the more effective parts were when the movie tried something different from the long takes and mysterious shadows, such as the phone call scene or the scene in the parents' bedroom. That scene gave me the freaking willies. (laughs) The whole movie gave me the willies. The the, the bedroom scene in particular just Mm. stuck with me. It's just Mm. absolutely fundamentally terrifying. Gosh, I'm I'm panicking a little just thinking about it. But uh, the... um, there's, during that scene, the the kids mm. speak in a whisper, like they're afraid yeah. to speak. And during that scene, the kid speaks in full voice, and it's like the sound is just absorbed into nothingness. Yeah, it's really incredible sound design. Yeah, and then and then somebody says, "Look under the bed." You're like, "No, no don't, don't do, do that." Do that. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I was terrified by the movie. That's fine. I lost my place here. Phone call scene. And at the very end is well done, but it comes after what felt like anywhere between two to four moments that also would have made for good final shots, hmm. uh, making me fully understand the complaints people have about Return of the King's too many endings. <laughs> okay, it's not actually that bad. That's the maybe the first review of Skinamarink to compare it to Return of the King. Hmm. Um, not inept, though. I see, I see the point you're making. Yeah. I really is now that uh, I'm perhaps becoming too repetitive and long in myself. Ha. So I bow out now and thank you both for taking the time to read this letter and allowing me the opportunity to vent my frustrations and offer a different perspective that probably sounds more negative and arrogant than I meant. Uh, that's that's why guys. That's why you guys are the pros and my favorite critics because you always approach movies and different perspectives with a balanced fairness, which I which was more common in the film community. Uh, laissez long bon temps roule, Jonathan. Jonathan, thank you for the mm-hmm. kind words. Really, that means a lot to me. And I gotta say this. Um, listen, we disagree about Skinner Rink, but I, I actually think your critiques are are quite reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he, I even said in my review that if the movie has a flaw, it's a little longer than it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think arguing that its length is to the film's detriment, given that um, there's not a lot of incident in it, mm-hmm. uh, and as a result, it, you, it arguably could feel a little repetitive. There are actual sequences in the movie where, like, it's literally just watching the same clip of a cartoon yeah. over and over again that is designed to be repetitive. And it is entirely possible to do exactly what you set out to do and still not have the impact that you wanted, at yeah. least not on everybody. And... A, f- a critic's job is is really simple, if you think about it. Have an honest reaction to the movie, and then explain why. Yeah. And y- you did a great job. Mm. You know, you, you gave the movie credit where credit is due, but it didn't work for you, and you explained why. And I respect all of that. Those are all very mm. reasonable critiques. They're not necessarily... I, I can't point to, oh, you misinterpreted anything. Yeah. It's the, the, uh, well, they're, they're all apt. It's just... I thought it worked better than you did. Sometimes it's just a matter of falling under the film's spell. Yeah. Um, I, I, um, 
as an assignment from one of our listeners, I watched the first, uh, the whole first season of a TV series called Hannibal, yeah. uh, which I, I found to be pretty absurd. Actually, I would, didn't, yeah. didn't really enjoy it that much. Uh, and I, but I can see how someone would fall under a, a spell of that, a show yeah. like that. It's very kind of hypnotic. Um, also, I've, I've read some criticism of Skinnamarink that it is uh, maybe a little too specific mm. to, like, a suburban experience. Mm-hmm. It, it's about growing up in a suburban home, and it was filmed in the filmmaker's actual yeah. childhood home. Uh, well, and, it's not as universal as maybe it seems to some yeah, people. So, yeah, so for people who grew up in suburban homes, <laughs> it's going to feel relatable, but there's... Mm. Not and everybody maybe can relate to the experience of having nightmares as a child, mm, but, but the location is maybe the, the, not yeah the specifics like aren't necessarily like finding like your toys on the ceiling. Well, if you didn't have toys like that, what if you didn't watch TV late at night? I mean, but yeah, but uh, if you if you start going down that rabbit hole, you can't make a movie ever, can you? Well, uh, my point being is that uh, we can't call something like Skinnamarink a universal experience. Well, no, then we well, yeah. we can call nothing a universal yeah. experience. We can talk about. But I, I've, yeah. I've heard some critics say they couldn't they couldn't be scared by a movie like that because it's a little too conscious of like those specific surroundings. And and hey, that again, these are all very reasonable things. Mm. It's also worth noting that, um, and, and I don't think you've fallen into this trap, uh, Jonathan. But um, I've heard I've heard very intelligent film critics who I generally respect seemingly fall into this trap where just because it doesn't scare you, that doesn't mean it's a bad horror movie. Because fear can be very personal. And something that terrifies one person might completely bounce off someone else. Mm. Which is why I encourage people to, when, they, when they're talking about, you know, oh, I didn't like this horror movie because I didn't think it was scary. I encourage you to think about the horror movie not in terms of it exists exclusively to freak you out, you specifically. Mm. But rather it exists to explore fear. Yeah. Explore anxiety, explore phobia, um, and if it's not your anxiety, your phobia, that's that is okay. That doesn't invalidate it. And I think Skinnamarink is is after something. Actually, we we've talked about this before. The idea that specificity can make something feel universal. Yeah, uh, and I think Skinnamarink is doing that a little bit. Mm. It definitely feels like a nightmare you have in this house. Yeah, very specifically. So I'm looking forward to Skinnamarink too, in this house. where we're going to try it in a yes, in this house, in this house, in this house, in this house. Like, <laughs> but I look forward to Skinnamarink too, and we can try it in a different house. <laughs> Surely Skinnamarink too is coming, right? We call it Skinnamarink a Dinky Dink oh with like gosh. a colon in the middle. <laughs> Skinnamarink colon. colon a Dinky Dink. Skinnamarink a Dinky Dink. Skinnamarinky uh, two. That's the lyrics of the song. Yeah. If, you, if you're unfamiliar with the song, Skinnamarink is based on a song. Uh, called it's actually a couple of different versions. Mm. Sometimes it's Skidamarink, not Skidamarink. Skida, yeah. Well, I've heard it spelled yeah. that way too. Uh, but yeah, they used to sing it uh, every episode of this uh, Canadian kids show that they imported to Nickelodeon. So we saw it here in America for quite a few years, called the Elephant Show, which was about a bunch of like really happy people, you know, teaching kids things about you know fun and playtime and not talking to strangers. <laughs> you know, g- generic kids show stuff. Mm. And one of them was always dressed as an elephant. But then they also sang Skinnamarink. So, right. yeah. And anyway, I digress. Um, but listen, all of that's very reasonable. I mean, yeah, you should yeah. definitely, again, I want to... I think, I want to, I want to yeah. uh, confront you about something, though. Um, exploring, like, a film that's about fear is sure. is one thing. But I think it, it doesn't take a, a film critic or, you know, a very sophisticated uh, view of a film mm. to see that it's meant 
to scare, that it's meant to be scary. Sure. And I think if a film is meant to be scary and is trying to scare you, and it's making you not scared, and mm-hmm. in fact it's making you bored or is making you laugh, mm-hmm. I think that's a blow against it. I think not being scary is perhaps a detriment to a horror movie. I'm not saying uh, it's I'm not think, saying it's an invalid critique. I'm yeah. just saying it's not the end all be all. Like uh, a big criticism of mine of those it movies mm. was that the clown didn't scare me. Sure. I want to be scared by that clown. Yeah. I want that clown to show up and I want to jump or I want to you know feel some sort of existential dread. It looks like something from like Universal Horror Nights like yeah, somebody little, just sort of lurking around little and in your face, cavorting. Yeah. It's like no, if it looks like a real clown, that would be right. scarier, but it's got like this big like outsized head and fangs and stuff. It's like that's right. Halloween vampire clown. It wasn't. It wasn't scary. And it, that's not me trying to be macho. No, 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 no. That's and that's not me trying to like sort of snort at the movie. Mm-hmm. I think it's a detriment to the filmmaking yeah. that a horror movie isn't scaring me at least on some level, or at least making me see something kind of creepy about this. Sure, and I, and I want to thank you for mm-hmm. for for uh, mm-hmm. uh, challenging me on that because I feel like maybe I wasn't clear. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that. It wouldn't be better if horror movies were scary. At least the ones that are trying to actively scare you. Some yeah. are not. Some are trying to be fun or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but what, what I'm saying is that if it's, it's not the end-all be-all. Mm-hmm. You don't need to write a movie off just because it didn't scare you. Yeah. There are good horror movies that don't really scare you, but they may still be entertaining yeah. or interesting, or they may explore a theme in a way that you're like, oh, that isn't my phobia, but now I think about it, yeah, that would be creepy mm-hmm. if it was. So... I'm not saying that we need to rethink the way we look at horror movies and they only just, as long as they're about something scary, they're good. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that if you're looking at a horror movie and you're rejecting it just because it didn't scare you, Mm. consider perhaps that that's not all a horror movie has to uh, be and that maybe you can still enjoy and appreciate and even say that you like this horror movie even though it doesn't make you lose sleep at night. Yeah. Because I don't think that's all a horror movie has to do. Yeah, and and horror fans especially... uh, we we get pretty jaded sometimes. Get kind like of thick the, skinned. Yeah, like we can. We, you and I reviewed a film called Infinity Pool just last week, uh, which was uh, said to be like quite extreme oh, yeah. in its images. People and, and, are leaving the theater. And, and you and I are like such old guard at sort of extreme cinema. It's like ah, we've seen it. Yeah. We've seen so much worse than this. This is yeah. not extreme. No, it really didn't feel extreme to me. And yeah. again, again, personal experience. Yeah, yeah, that's part of it. You can't plan for that. You know. You, you you make a comedy, you fill it with jokes, and people in the theater laugh. But not everyone's going to laugh. Mm. Some people just have a different sense of humor. Some people just don't think that's funny. You can't count on that. You can't reach everybody. It'd be nice if you could. And it's one of the reasons why the movies that tend to appeal to the broadest range of people tend to be uh, uh, elevated to classic status because... Whether you did it on purpose or you did it by accident, there was something for almost everyone there. Good mm-hmm. job. That's why, like, Top Gun Maverick is, yeah. like, up for Best Picture. It's not that it's the greatest movie ever. It's just everyone saw it and was like, you know what? Even if that's not for me, that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Better Top Gun 2 than I thought we were going to get. That's for <laughs> goddamn sure, you know? So, But that doesn't necessarily mean it's the zenith of the art form or anything. It's just something we can all agree on, which is also how the Oscars works. Right. The best, quote-unquote, movie is a purely subjective, but the most challenging movie rarely wins. It's usually mm-hmm. something that appeals to the most people. Yeah, yeah. There are exceptions to that, but anyway. 
Um, uh, we got time for like one more. Okay. Uh, here's a letter from Joshua. Hello, Joshua. Mm-hmm. Um, Como estas, Senor Whitney and Capitan Bibbs? Hi. Uh, you responded to my letter la- uh, last about movies I think about when I think about 80s movies. Mm. Uh, since then, I found myself trying to watch more movies from the 1980s and I've seen, that I've seen before, and I have two different experiences with two different movies. The first film was Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Ah. I've always been very interested in watching this movie, and I've always heard great things about it, but, and how it's one of the best holiday movies and one of the best road trip movies. But I was a bit let down. Mm. Maybe I went with too high expectations, but I didn't find it all that funny, and I found it like a lot of the story beats were introduced and then gone, and there's a small hint that Steve Martin's wife suspects him of cheating, but then that's never brought up. And why does Steve really want to get home? He has no interactions with kids, his kids on the phone, and he only calls his wife every now and again to give her an update, but she's barely a character in the movie. I think mm. the late John Candy is hilarious, and I've always loved Steve Martin, <clears throat> But I think I chuckled in maybe two scenes. I still enjoyed the movie I was watching, mainly because of John Candy. Mm. Uh, I honestly want to be more like him as I grow older in life, and I think he had great. They had great chemistry together, and I generally uh, did want him to make it more. Uh, but the ending and the ending did make me tear up a little bit. Maybe yeah. it's one of those movies where you have to watch at at a time, like a, a time of the year, mm. where it's a movie you had to grow up with. So let's see if maybe on my second watch, all my expectation uh, with all the expectations away, I'll enjoy it more. Sometimes that second um, watch can be really useful. I'm not saying you have to like playing strains and automobiles, and I'm yeah. sure we'll talk about that in a second. But <laughs> uh, but uh, I, I will say that sometimes when movies have been built up a lot, mm. the first time you watch it, it's competing with what you think it should be, mm. or what you think it's supposed to be, and you might miss exactly what it is, and therefore at the second time, I, I, I do this with food. Mm. I'll try a new food item I've never had before, yeah. and it's like it's way spicier than I thought. I'm like, mm. oh, I don't like this. But then if I try it again, I'll be yeah. like, well, now I know how spicy it is. Yeah, yeah. And I'll be ready for uh, it. And maybe I can appreciate it from spicy. I just wasn't in the mood for that at the time. I, uh, so that second attempt might be mm. really invaluable sometimes. I, uh, In raising my son, we read some books, uh, children's books, that were encouraging kids to like try different foods. Yeah. Because little kids have pretty limited palates. Yeah. And uh, I and ran the change aground- too. Which is yeah, weird. And, yeah, and I ran aground on this concept a lot uh, when raising my son. The idea of three bites. Mm. You don't taste it. You eat three full bites of something before you make your decision. Yeah. And and uh, in, in a lot of the books I read, it's like, and Pete the cat's friend is going to try something, and it's going to try three bites. Okay, and eat it. There's the first one. There's the second. There's the third. Do you like it? No, I don't. Fair enough. But you gave it a shot. And yeah. That's the point. You have and, to yeah. at least make an honest attempt. You have to mm. give it a chance. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, exactly. So again, you're not. So, uh, but, yeah. but yeah, there's also the the phenomenon of uh, something that has had become so popular it sets a standard, and there's a lot of imitators yeah. that take similar concepts and maybe in some cases do it better or do it differently in a way that appeals to you more. Yeah. So when you go back to the origin, it feels kind of like trite. Well, it, it feels but it's because everything you've seen since it mm. drew from it and what, improved on what it. the original did. I actually don't think it's necessarily the case of planes, trains, but it happens a lot. The original, because it did it first, doing it uh-huh. was the thing that made it so exciting. And then other people built on that. And it yeah. became like, so the original feels like the skeleton. And yeah. everything else feels like the meat and the mm. muscle and the tendon and the sinew. And, um, and that can happen. Mm. That can happen. That, that happened with me. That I, mm. I, I was in my 30s the first time I saw uh, the movie Beverly Hills Cop. Yeah, that's a great and example. And Beverly Hills Cop uh, 
was a smash hit at the time. Gigantic. Ma- made uh, Eddie Murphy uh, like a gigantic star. It was nominated and, for Best Screenplay, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was nominated because of Eddie Murphy's ad-libs. <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure. Well, was he nominated? Stretch- I have to look that no, up. No, I don't but, think he uh, was, but I think it's just one of those things where the thing people liked about it it's not the, the structure is fine. Yeah. It's basically put Eddie Murphy in a situation. Mm. He ad libs. That's the movie. Mm. That's the majority of the film. And so many films that came after Beverly, because it was such a big hit, it yeah. spawned all kinds of imitators. And I saw those movies. Yeah. I saw the films that were imitating it. So going back to Someone see. Someone would start Eddie Murphy. Indeed. Uh, so when I went back and actually saw Beverly Hills Cop, it's like, this has been outstripped by its imitators. Yeah, I actually, even though I grew up in the 80s and I watched more 80s movies of you, especially the action ilk, uh-huh. somehow I had missed Beverly Hills Cop as okay. a kid. And when I came back to it as an adult, I had a very similar experience. Yeah, yeah. yeah I just I don't, right. also um, don't think some of the jokes are very funny. I think some of them have aged badly. Oh, um, some, 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 some could, very homophobic could, humor You could say that about Eddie Murphy's stand-up. If you That's go back all, and see some I, of his earlier And you know stuff, what? You, know, you can <laughs> It's yeah. true. Yeah, I think I think he's I think he's talked about that. I, no, absolutely. Yeah, yes. and the, yeah. good for him for for yeah, the, you know, the, the kinds on, of jokes yeah. that were considered appropriate yeah. at the you know in 1985 mm-hmm. uh, aren't anymore. Yeah. Uh, anyway, second film. Yeah. Uh, for the second movie, the movie is Desperately Seeking Susan. Oh, I haven't seen this in its entirety uh, in a long time. I had never heard of this film before. I saw a documentary, Three Identical Strangers, mm. about the three triplets who are separated at birth. And in the documentary, they mentioned that they go they get so famous they have a small cameo in the movie Desperately Seeking Susan. So the other day, I'm scrolling through Tubi, and I see that they have the movie there. Ah, it's always on Tubi, isn't it? I didn't read the synopsis, and I assume the movie was like an 80s teen comedy about two best friends. Just uh, looking at the picture, that, and that's what I thought. I can't explain why, but this movie fucking hits. From the beginning to end, I absolutely yeah. loved it. Uh, Rosanna Arquette had me hypnotized the whole time, and I loved all her quirks and mannerisms. Her love interest has this really deep, sensual, uh, raspy voice that made me wish he could read me to sleep. I think the movie used Madonna perfectly. Yeah. I'm not sure if she's a good actor or not, but I can tell <laughs> by making her the cool mystery character, it didn't give her too much to do while still making her important to the movie. Uh, since I knew nothing of the movie, I was completely surprised by where this movie goes, and the whole time I want Roberta and Susan to actually meet and hit it off, but the movie the movie does that hilarious thing where all the characters keep passing each other without realizing it, and it totally yeah. worked for me. Uh, this movie just goes to show you that anybody can relate to any kind of character. I'm a straight Hispanic male, and I feel and understood all the emotions of Rosanna Arquette's character go- that she was going through. I understood every decision mm. she made. The movie should be talked about more when people discuss 80s movies. Mm. I'd love to hear your thoughts on both of these movies. That's my rant for the day. Joshua. Uh, let's start with Desperately Seeking Susan real fast, because mm. uh, I think we, 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 we talked about... Planes, Trains, and Automobiles on a Patreon-exclusive podcast like just the other day. Yeah. And so uh, we have plenty to open up in that can of worms. You, you say, like, for, for some reason, like, the movie manages to really transcend. Mm-hmm. Uh, my theory for that is it's because it was directed by Susan Seidelman. Uh, Susan Seidelman, I think, is one of the more underrated filmmakers of, like, the last two decades yeah. of American mm-hmm. cinema. Uh, she just came out with, like, nothing but bangers and... Some of them were hits, some of them were not, but she never developed for most people this kind of like uh, uh, auteur, mm-hmm. uh, uh, premature that uh, impremature that so many of her contemporaries did, and that's a shame. Yeah, because when she made a movie, it it hit, it worked as is as, as entertainment, but it was also way smarter than you ever thought it was going to be. One of my very favorite movies, and this is. You're saying something because the star is someone who I don't really mm. have a lot of kind feelings about right now. Uh, is She Devil? 
I know you're fond of this movie. I still haven't seen this. Yeah, one. She Devil stars Roseanne Barr. It was her first big like first big movie. Um, stars Roseanne Barr. Stars Ed Begley Jr. and it stars Meryl Streep. Meryl Streep plays the villain, or rather Ed Begley Jr. and Meryl Streep too. Uh, Ed Begley Jr. is married to Roseanne Barr. Uh, they have a couple of kids, and they're just kind of making do and being miserable in suburbia. Uh, he's an accountant, and he picks up a new client who's a famous uh, romance novelist played by Meryl Streep. He has an affair with Meryl Streep. He leaves Roseanne, and she vows revenge. And over the course of the movie, it's like the Count of Monte Cristo, but with, like, 80s sexual politics. Um she systematically destroys his life and Meryl Streep's life. It's very funny. Meryl Streep is unbelievably funny. <laughs> like, she, she, people forget how funny she is. Like, between this and Death Becomes Her, she's hmm. amazing in it. Um, but it's really smart. Hmm. Like, it's actually really sharp. It's actually making, like, meaningfully good points. Like, it actually feels like a responsible movie mm-hmm. about the subject matter in it, even though it's about something <coughs> irresponsible, like revenge. Hmm. Um... Even the movie she made where John Malkovich made a John Malkovich robot is good. Making Mr. Ray. Yeah, yeah. John Malkovich plays a scientist who creates a, a duplicate of himself, a robotic duplicate, so to go into space for like long missions that would like human beings couldn't survive. But while he's testing it, damn thing falls in love. <laughs> and it's great. And it's really smart. It's got kind of a sad ending. Like it's really beautiful. Um, God, Susan Salomon's great. The, the the film I can talk to is Smithereens. No, I, I, that's what I haven't seen. Yeah, it's sort of like uh, came from sort of the um, New York no wave uh, movement, sort of this punk rock on the streets kind of romance story, um, and it's excellent. Yes, I'll bet it is. Uh, it's on the Criterion Channel. I think it won something at Cannes or something. Um, mm. Criterion yeah, had a Susan Seidelman retrospective. I don't yeah. know if it's still available, but they had a lot of their films for a while. Yeah, uh, it was the first American independent film to compete at, for the Palme d'Or wow. back in 19, back 1982. No shit. Mm. That's cool. Um, yeah, it's it's a movie that's yeah sort of about young women, young sort of outsider women finding their uh, identity in sort of an urban setting. Huh. I, Desperately Seeking Susan takes place in L.A., if I understand. I th- Think um, I could be wrong, but I think so. Because I, I seem to recall there were scenes where they're it's walking. Uh, New up Jersey, down. actually. Oh, it's in New Jersey. Never it's in New Jersey. I, then I'll, I'm going to take back my point. There you go. Um, Smithereens is also New Jersey. There you go. Well, then they, you know, the motif. Um, but anyway, I haven't seen Desperately Seeking Susan in a long time, and I, I will again actually because now I have a craving because I liked mm-hmm. it when it when it came out. Um, Astro Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. Mm-hmm. The, you're right. That movie is essentially canonized. A lot of people consider it the ultimate Thanksgiving movie. Not that there's a ton of competition. <laughs> what I think is interesting about Planes, Trains, and Automobiles isn't the idea that it uh, created or codified a genre. I actually think it's interesting that John Hughes came back to that cross-country motif over and over again in, in different contexts throughout his career. You know, his first big screenplay... Uh, that was a huge, gigantic hit, was National Lampoon's Vacation, mm. which was essentially the comedic version of him as a kid being dragged across the country by his father and one episodic misfortune after another. And then that became a whole series where they went to Europe and so on. And then he did Plain Strains and Automobiles, which is all about two, two uh, uh, men trying to get home to their families for Thanksgiving uh, at a time, the holidays, when travel in this country is even worse than usual. And then later on, he did a movie that tanked at the box office. I think it's really charming, and we watch it all the time. 
um, you know, seasonally. Uh, is the Ed, um, not Ed Beckley, the, um, oh, who was, who was in, um, who's in Married with Children? Oh, um. Ed something. Ed O'Neill. Ed O'Neill, thank you. Ed O'Neill uh, was in a movie called Dutch. Dutch is excellent. I Dutch like is Dutch, fun. Yeah. Dutch is a good, it's basically, um, hey, I'm going to do the cross country thing I did, but I'm going to make it like Uncle Buck goes across country and the kid is a real, is a real hellion, but over the course of the film, you realize that this isn't a silly comedy. The kid is actually going through some like serious emotional stuff and it, it, it really grows on you, even though it's also very witty. Like it's, it's a fun film. Yeah, I'm always it always baffled me that people just turned on that one. I guess they were just tired of John Hughes doing road trip movies by that point. But it mm-hmm. it, it holds up well. Yeah. So I just look at it as an interesting sort of piece of the John Hughes puzzle. Yeah. But you don't like planes, trains, and automobiles that much. I I don't. Yeah. Um, I don't find the scenario to be that entertaining. I guess mm. as a, a critique or a damnation mm. of um, uh, holiday. Uh, obligations it's it's sort of like a, a send-up of a lot of suburban concerns hmm. um you know, getting okay. home getting home for the holidays to see people at thanksgiving it's like a, a thanksgiving is a very american holiday it's yeah. it's only celebrated here and um there are other the, versions yeah. of it elsewhere like similar yeah. things but the specific day yeah, that, that's the, does, yeah. specific to this country so yeah, it's it's sort of like um looking at the stresses we've put upon ourselves around mm. this particular holiday uh, you could say it's satirizing Americans. Uh, it's it's I, I can't decide if the film's supposed to be sentimental or bitter. I think it's, because it's kind of both of those things. I think it is both of those yeah. things. Yeah, I, I think that's part of the appeal for some people. Yeah, uh, but I, it's difficult for me to watch planes, trains, and automobiles and laugh mm. because the situations are too realistic. Mm. Uh, they're supposed to be exaggerated, and they're not. They're just relatable. Mm. And watching. Uh, Steve Martin break down and start cussing at Edie McClurg. Mm. Uh, there's the film has a PG 13 rating, but it uses the F word like eight times in one scene. Yeah. Uh, Cause they got them all out yeah, at once. I uh, think they got it. They got a, they uh, got one of MPAA's many self, yeah. self contradictory passes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah I, I'm feeling him in that moment. Yeah. It's like he's, this is supposed to be his breakdown moment. No, he's actually being quite reasonable at this point that he hasn't murdered anybody yet. Yeah. And, the film either needed to have him murder somebody, like just <laughs> like go snap. over the line, yeah, yeah, like cross a line, or like you know, be, finally just beat John Candy to death and go on, yeah. Uh, or it needed to exaggerate to a point where everything's really sort of cartoonish. Mm. Uh, that might have been a little bit more palatable. As it stands, I watch the film and I just like my scalp tenses up and I just feel stressed out. It's like I just want this movie to be over. <laughs> Because I want him to get there, I want it to be over, and I want to breathe a sigh of relief, and that's not a pleasant experience. No. And that's, and that's not a comedy film either. Some people gravitate towards discomfort comedy. People yeah. in uncomfortable situations. Mm. And I generally don't. There are exceptions. Yeah. There are movies that I think do it well, some shows that I think have pulled it off. <coughs> Excuse me. Still getting over that cough. Mm. Um, I think Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, for me, gets the balance pretty good because on one hand I am feeling the reality of the situation a lot of the some of the specifics are kind of weird some of the shots that they create are bizarre but the general vibe of oh now we're stranded here oh how the hell do we find a flight oh this my schedule is completely nuts there's no way I'm making it to my meeting like that kind of thing we can all relate to that 
Um, and then sometimes it's goofy and fun. But I actually think the reason why Planes, Trains, and Automobiles works isn't because it's funny. I think it's because... I think it's because of John Candy's scene at the end, actually. Mm -hmm. It's when you find out what's really up with John Candy. And he has, like, you know... You find out more about his character and you realize that this guy who you thought of as the oaf... They kind of who's boob, like, yeah, yeah. The, the obstacle really, in Steve Martin's way is a human being. He's really uh, uh, oblivious to what Steve Martin is going through. He's oblivious to what Steve Martin is going through, and Steve Martin is completely oblivious to what he is going through because they haven't. They've been seeing each other as obstacles, and they haven't actually been trying to connect. And I think that ending, the, the, the speech that John Candy has about, like, but my my family loves me, mm. you know. I, I think that movie breaks... Uh, that scene breaks me. Hmm. But I will agree with this. I, I think it's one of those movies where for a lot of it, it's like watching uncut gems. Like it's, it's like <laughs> well, it's, it's trying yeah, to create I, a but, panic attack, and I, I, that's I, only so fun. You the know? thing is, I like a movie like Uncut Gems because that character is putting himself in those situations. Yeah. I think that's vital. Yeah, he, uh, he's getting what he deserves in those situations. Yeah, yeah. yeah like... I'm going to make my money back. How are you going to do it? Oh, by gambling something that's not mine. It's like, well, you're doing a foolish thing and you're asking yeah. people to do more and more things. It's not necessarily like a moral getting sort of a comeuppance thing, but it, it sort of has a poetry to it. I'm not speaking of the story structure per se. I'm speaking of the, uh, here's how screwed this character is. Yeah. And we're just going to keep tightening the wench. Mm. You know, the the, the winch, the winch. Winch. The winch. Tightening the winch. Sorry. Um, I, again, that can be fun, but I also am not always in the mood for that shit. <laughs> um, so, Planes, I like Planes, Trains, and Automobiles a lot. It's hardly my favorite. I like Son-in-Law more than Planes, Trains, and Automobiles. <laughs> Son-in-Law is easily Pauly Shore's mm -hmm. best movie. Yeah, I, I also films about... It's also a Thanksgiving movie. That's why I, I bring so. it up. Oh, you okay. haven't seen it. Also, uh, another element <coughs> of Planes, Trains, and Automobiles, it's about travel, right? Yeah. Uh, travel, for me, even when it's frustrating, is... Like it's it can be stressful when there's a deadline. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, but you have to catch that flight. But know? also, if like circumstances are out of your control, then they're just sort of out of your control, and that's actually kind of freeing mm. when everything's out of your control because you can't do anything. So well, so don't do anything. I, I don't think that's it's, Steve Martin's character. I think that's no, the whole it's, point. He's the yeah. person who doesn't see it that way. Yeah, but he should. The, the idea is you just keep moving forward. This is fine. I, I, and, I think maybe the movie should have had more moments like that, like a moment where he's just like, and I can't go anywhere, yeah. and it's just him on a bench. Like he reads reads you know, a book and you know, enjoys you know, a cup like of coffee it, or something. Maybe if it had achieved some kind of zen, yeah, maybe that would have been maybe that would like have been a, nice. A, and that happens to most travelers. Like, well, I'm just sort of stuck. Yeah, where are you going to sleep? I don't know. Here, yeah, <laughs> I've slept in airports before. Yeah, actually, I had a great adventure sleeping in an airport once because I didn't know I was going to have to sleep there. It was one of those overnight delays. Hmm. I found I found a bench that had no armrests. There you go. It was a coup. I started doing that. Uh, I started doing that when I, uh, I I have this thing, and you you've you've gone to screenings with me and other events, mm -hmm. and uh, when there's a time where we're supposed to be somewhere and it looks like we might not get there in time, mm -hmm. I become intolerable. You, you become plain strings and I I become an absolute <laughs> mess. I'm like, we have to. There must be a shortcut. What can we do? Like, I hate being late to things. I don't know how that got hammered into me. Um, but. What I started doing whenever I could is when I had like a screening I had to go to, I created a scenario whenever possible where I got there early enough, not like five minutes for the screening, but if I can get there 45 minutes for the screening or even half an hour, and when I get there, that's at least 15, 20 minutes, nothing else I have to do. 
Mm-hmm. That's like that. That's just it. Just nothing. I can't. I, I can't start the movie. You know, no one else is here yet. I got here early, mm-hmm. and I have no excuse but to just be present. Nah. And that led to some nice moments, actually. <laughs> I'm not gonna go. lie. Anyway, that is it for We've Got Mail this week. Thank you, everybody, for writing in. Awesome questions this week. Um, big topics. I'm curious about your thoughts about them. Feel free to write in with your own uh, opinions or questions or other prompts. Want more recommendations? Anything you want, really. Our email address is letters at criticallyacclaimed.net. Uh, Whitney, what is our P.O. Box? Yeah, send us a physical letter. Uh, P.O. Box 641565, Los Angeles, California, 90064. Well, you can really hear my voice getting froggy. A little bit, yeah. Yeah, okay. Let's wrap this up. Uh, okay, anyway, big shout out to all of our patrons. Remember, if you're a patron at any tier, even $1 a month, you get our podcasts ad-free. You don't have to listen to any of the ads. Bada bing. Enjoy. Uh, we also have a bunch of exclusive shows over there. We just released the latest episode of our podcast, Only the Best. We review every single movie ever nominated for Best Picture. We just did all the Best Picture nominees of 1950. And that includes classics like Born Yesterday, Sunset Boulevard, and All About Eve. And we decide which film we think should have won. Uh, we also have our Star Trek podcast and a whole bunch of other things as well. Come on down. We'd love to see you. And to all of our patrons, thank you, thank you from the bottom of our hearts. We couldn't be here without you. That is 100% true. Um, and uh, we're on Twitter at Critic Acclaim. You're at we're Whitney Seibold. I, I am indeed. Oh, and uh, for those who have been interested, and we've, we do get uh, requests, um, our Salt Cat Soap, uh, soap-making enterprise, me and my partner, I'm Lavas Da Silva, uh, we've opened up our own Ko-Fi store. So now you can actually order it, and we're, uh, we're trying to, I, th- I think we might have been able to crack... Uh, international shipping. Oh, nice. So uh, okay. if you're in Canada, we might be able to get know, you some soap. I know those big bug. It's like difficult yeah. to ship just because it was so expensive. For yeah, you yeah. We're we're those. we're working on it, and so like there's like a rate thing, but um, that is something that is possible. If you head on over to Salt Cat Soap on Twitter and you look at the bio, there there are links. You can find our Ko-Fi store. You can also get a signed books by M. Lapis da Silva uh, to read while you're in the bath enjoying your Salt Cat Soap. There you go. So uh, thank you everybody who's already purchased it. Thank you everybody who added over to the Salt Cat Soap Patreon page where you can also join our Soap of the Month Club. Really means a lot to us. And I'll talk about that more in more detail later. Um, anyway, thank you everybody and uh, sincerely yours, Bibson Whitney. Whitney.